What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest leads the charge of finding new ways to build and design sustainably. He's responsible for the first zero emissions and passive house certified hotel in the United States, which is also the first lead platinum hotel in the US since 2015. It's called the Hotel Marcel, a tapestry collection by Hilton, and it's located just up the road in New Haven, Connecticut. He believes that ultimately buildings should be designed to serve their users. He's the president at Becker and Becker Associates, an integrated architecture and development company based just down the other road in Westport, Connecticut. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bruce Becker. Welcome, Bruce. It's good to be with you, Dan. Um, so first, I would like to share a little embarrassing story about myself and doing my research with you. So um, Larry Traxler from Hilton connected us. Um, and he said, oh, you should meet Bruce. He's a great guy. He's the architect. He did the Hotel Marcel. I reached out to you. Um, we met. We both met up in New Haven at the Hotel Marcel, which is really awesome. And I know we'll talk a lot about that more. And you gave me this tour and you really lit up on all the systems, processes, um, just all the infrastructure in the hotel that makes it a zero emissions hotel, the first of its kind, which is crazy if you really think about it on a lot of different levels. Uh, and after the whole thing, you were telling me how much money it saved and it increased the performance because you're not paying all the money to the electric company. It was meaningful savings and value add, especially when you factor in leverage. And I was like, oh, so you know, as the architect, did you also get to invest in the project as friends and family? And you're like, no, I'm the owner. <laughs> I'm the developer. And yeah, I was like, yeah. oh my God, that was just foot in mouth, like poor form on my part. But I just, I, it's a story I will, I think I will tell forever. So thank you for letting well, me Dan, embarrass myself. Well, your excuse, because I actually identify as an architect first, and I only became a developer and an owner just because I aspired to do things I couldn't find clients mm. uh, to let me do for them. So I've, um, I started out probably for the first 20 years of my practice, um, uh, having a conventional architectural and planning firm working for uh, nonprofit clients and, and REITs and, and uh, you know, but I would have to really market myself to get the assignments that I wanted well. And there was always someone that had a bigger firm or was more experienced mm. at that. And, and typically they wouldn't necessarily be interested in the sort of things I wanted to take on. So rather than um, uh, developing an approach where I, I sort of created a practice to try to hone in on clients that had the same values as I had. I figured, why not just skip that process and and take on the development role? I started doing consulting, mm. um, but I uh, I did get an MBA when I was in graduate school, so I purposely equipped myself so that I could uh, over time expand into that. But I do have uh, the luxury, I guess, of being able to make a few more decisions, not just aesthetic and design decisions, but, but more. And we'll that. get into those decisions because that whole project that you've done up there and like, and just how unique it was and what an opportunity, I don't know how many regular developers would have done it or like standard. And in order for you to like, you had this really incredible vision and you had to 
execute it kind of on your own terms. But I want to get into that. But first, as you know, it is a hotel and it is a, I think, a market changing and industry changing hotel for for our hospitality industry. Um, I need to ask you first, how do you define hospitality? I define it perhaps more broadly than uh, most people because we have a, a motto for Hotel Marcel, which is hospitality for the planet. Uh, the idea being you can't really have genuine hospitality and be treating the atmosphere as an open sewer. You, know, you have to have a holistic approach to taking care of people and their things and their environment and their planet and uh, to be really generous with hospitality, we, we can't be uh, uh, throwing toxic uh, emissions into the atmosphere every day as part of our standard practice. So I'm a firm believer that particularly now that the technology is available and affordable and in fact improves the bottom line um, with all the incentives that are available and the, the new technologies that are available, uh, we can provide the best, you know, the best available hospitality uh, uh, person to person, but also do it in a way that doesn't have any negative byproducts for the environment. The thing that struck me the most as like, as you were giving me the tour and showing me all the systems that were there from um, the solar panels to the, the heating, to the lighting, to the zero emission kitchen, all those things. And you would light up and I, Two things struck me. One was, oh, wow, you're like a puzzle master and you want to pull all this stuff together and figure out how to make this work to become a zero emissions hotel, number one. But the other thing that struck me is that all of this stuff, all of this technology, it's already here. It's not like you were creating new systems. It was there. You you plucked them off the shelf. I'm doing that in, yeah. in quotations. But got them into your property, have ze emit zero emissions, but also had a meaningful, meaningful, meaningful savings uh, on utility cost over, spread over 160 or 100, how many rooms? 100, 165, 165 rooms. rooms. And it, it was like, it was meaningful. So what really struck me, the ultimate was that of all the developers that are out there in, in hotel or other commercial real estate and even residential, it makes fiscal sense. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, oh, you know, it's too expensive or you have to get tax credits or blah, 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 blah. Like, what do you say to those? Like, pretend I don't believe that it's readily available and at hand. Like, what do you say to me and to our listeners to show, to convince them that you can do this and it makes financial sense? It's a simple uh, question, which is, would you rather have uh, more net operating income or less? Uh, and uh, there is the same impact on the bottom line uh, as having, say, an additional 20 guest rooms here as we get from having uh, uh, an energy bill that is a third of what it would otherwise be. You know, it actually is, is more valuable because gross income, you have to split with the franchise, you have to split with the management. Uh, those are all... Um, you know, there's, there, there's a three-legged stool for hotel. There's the owner, the operator, and the, and the brand. And unfortunately, the owner um, 
is often not the one making all the decisions about brand standards or about um, you know how things are operated and what equipment is is uh, more efficient. Uh, but in fact, the owner is the one that, at the end of the day, uh, you know the the net operating income trickles down to. So if you can do what we've done um, and only spend five dollars uh, in energy for every occupied room night versus fifteen, which is the norm in the Northeast. You've got an extra ten dollars of free cash flow for every guest that comes through your doors, and that um, that adds up pretty quickly. For us, it's about a three hundred thousand dollar a year improvement to our bottom line. And so, if you can do that, and you can also um, uh, eliminate any use of fossil fuels, and have that uh, the technology. Uh, be less expensive when you factor in the tax credits and the incentives that are available now. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine doing anything else. Uh, so I, I'm just so blown away by the $300,000 in savings spread out over 160 plus rooms. Because if you, not only from a free cash flow perspective, what does that do from from putting sustainability at the forefront, like at the at the top of your vision for what you're trying to execute. What does that do from a valuation perspective, especially considering like obviously you have leverage and all this, it must be a, a multiplier of incredible amounts, especially because you're you're also paying yourself first after the management and brand and everyone else gets the gets the top line. Yeah, no, it's um you know, it probably means the hotel's worth five million dollars more than it otherwise would be. Mm. And and also um, I've been to a number of uh, real estate conferences uh, and listened to the most senior people for European funds, and they're now saying that they're not going to invest in buildings that are using fossil fuels. I mean, they're, uh, the ESG is, is being driven in large part by the capital. And if you're, um, if you're creating a hotel that has a lot of carbon emissions, it's going to be a lot harder to sell at the end of the mm. day. Also, states and cities and countries are uh, beginning to impose big penalties for fossil fuel use. In uh, in Manhattan, or actually in all of New York City, for buildings that are over 25,000 square feet, they're rolling out a carbon tax of over $500 a ton annually, which means that hotels this size, if they continue with uh, business as usual, they're going to be paying Two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year in penalty oh, wow. uh, for that. So there's a great upside to the bottom line and also to the environment for um, pivoting and embracing this technology that's available. Um, but there's also a real, a real um, stick if you don't do that. And uh, um, there's also the market is is clear that you know two thirds or three quarters of the traveling public cares about sustainability. Um, we can't escape it after a year like this one with crazy fires and storms and, um, and, and smoke. I mean, even if we're not having fires here, we're getting it from elsewhere in the country and elsewhere in the world. Um, it is a problem. And the, there's an article in the Times today that, um, Unfortunately, despite all the pledges that countries have made with the Paris Accord, the emissions keep going up every year. Oh. So there is um, the time to act is now. Uh, there's no reason not to. 
I think the reason that it hasn't been done before. Yeah, that's my. That's actually um, my my other question. Like a real question. Like why is it not? Why has it not been taken on? I, I know that a lot of the big REITs, a lot of the big uh, private equity firms now. It's very important to the the people who lead those companies to incorporate this, and I, I, I it's I think it's either it's two twofold. Either they genuinely see that the time to act is now because it the tail risk from not doing anything from an environmental perspective could impact all of their real assets around the world. Um, so there's a financial motive, or like the retail human like people care now and that's the the customer in the market that they have to cha change or the third one is it it just makes financial sense and maybe it didn't make financial sense until recently but like what's been the holdback in your opinion well first of all you're right all of the brands have pledged by 2030 which is i mean that's 7 years away they have pledged um significant reductions in uh, fossil fuel emissions. Um, Hyatt uh, has pledged a 71% reduction. Marriott, 65%. Uh, Accor, 62%. Hilton, 53%. ISG, 37%. They've all gone on record saying they're going to make these reductions. However, the reality is, if you look at the Cornell benchmarking index for full-service hotels, the emissions are actually going up each year by double digits. Uh, there was a moment because of the, um, maybe because of the pandemic, when the, the total emissions looked like they were holding even or going down, but they're going up. And, and uh, the growth of all the world economies is still relying heavily on fossil fuel. Mm -hmm. So we have this disconnect between what people are actually doing and what they want to do. The reason it hasn't happened, the reason that we're the first here at Hotel Marcel puzzles me, but I think it may be the same reason why our approach is different, and that I'm fortunate to have a hand in every discipline from the finance to the design to the development um, and to, um, you know, selecting the brand and, and, and working with the, the manager. And so I have this integrated approach it's really no one's, if you ask a typical development team, who's in charge of making sure you don't use fossil fuels, no one would raise their hand because they were all going to look to the person not to their right or their left and think, well, no one gave me this assignment. So it's just a role that no one has had yet. Now, the brands have made pledges, but they don't really control which engineer gets hired and what they're, they're told to do. The hospitality industry is, in many ways, is a, it's so complicated and so hard to just open a hotel um, that, you know, is, is on budget, on schedule, and can pay the mortgage that uh, I think there's a tendency to just repeat successful models, you know, which is the whole basis for the hard-branded hotels. You know, you have a recipe that works, so you repeat it and you expect the same result. But if you're going to um, overlay all the thousands of decisions that get made and add one more criteria, I mean, everyone wants to make hotels as beautiful as possible. They obviously want to have a, a balanced operating budget and a balanced development budget. But 
apparently we're the first uh, development team that has said, in addition to everything else we have to do, we're just not going to use fossil fuels. Um, once you make that decision, everything else falls into place. It's actually quite effortless. It's the same amount of effort as buying an electric car versus a gas car. You just make a different consumer choice, but you do that about, you really only have to do that about 15 times, you know, when you buy your kitchen equipment, when you buy your laundry equipment, when you buy your um, hotel shuttle vehicle. Um, and, you know, it used not to be possible to do that for domestic hot water systems, but now they're really good, highly efficient air source heat pumps for making uh, lots of hot water for commercial building. So it's all available. So I have a question. If I, if I had the CEO of every large private equity company sitting in front of you who has a sizable real uh, commercial real estate portfolio and every um, the head of every large commercial real estate REIT sitting in front of you and you had a magic wand and to give them and say, hey, this magic wand, or it's really your advice is the magic wand, but like, what's the first step? step that they could take. I always like that saying, like the heart, what's the the best way to, or the only way to really eat an elephant is one bite at a time. What's mm -hmm. the most meaningful first bite you could tell all of those stakeholders and shareholders to take uh, when thinking about having a zero emissions property? Well, uh, you know, the good news is that all the major hotel brands have been measuring their emissions and their energy use uh, for some as long as a decade. Mm -hmm. So the data is already there. Um, it's aggregated now though. Um, I think Marriott is starting for some hotels to disclose it on their marketing websites, which is great. Uh, the city of New York actually requires public disclosure of those that data. Mm -hmm. um, the first step is just measuring things. Once you measure it, then you can manage it. And it's pretty easy to, um, I think if someone's going to buy a property or invest in a property, ask what the um, energy use intensity is. Ask what the fossil fuel emissions are. They're easy to calculate. And then look where they come from. It may be that um, for a hotel that doesn't have a on-site laundry, it's their hot water system mm. that is producing half of their carbon emissions. And you just replace it with, uh, you know, Mitsubishi has this great new, uh, heat 2.0 uh, air source heat pump system that uses uh, CO2 as the as the refrigerant. You know, it's sure it's maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars of investment, but overnight those carbon emissions just go away. Mm. You don't have to buy offsets for them. Uh, it may be for a different property. It's the commercial laundry that is uh, is you know the the low hanging fruit. It might be the kitchen. Uh, it's interesting how uh, how easy it has been to um, have a really great restaurant. We have at Hotel Marcel, uh, Chef Megan uh, uh, has uh, runs the, the team in the kitchen for our, our BLDG restaurant, and it's consistently um, one of the best meals that you'll find in a in a certainly in a hotel in the state of Connecticut, if not in any restaurant. I mean, it's, it's innovative. There's no compromise made. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, like, like anyone who's used induction cooking for their own home, well, that, uh, it gets, it takes getting used to, but there's no 
it actually allows you to do things faster and more cleanly and with a better indoor air quality than you would have yeah, otherwise. So that one actually, because um, we started off in there, you took me into the kitchen. And then I, I was amazed, induction ovens have been, or, and stoves have been there forever. Induction stoves have been there forever. And I'm, I'm like, well, why hasn't that taken off? Because you always see these kitchens with the burners and everything else. Why hasn't that taken off? But then I, then I, I, that thought was in my mind. And then you brought me upstairs to show me the lighting system, the heating cooling system. Uh, we went up on the roof and looked at the, at the solar panels. And then I realized from the battery technology to the Cat5 lighting to, I didn't see the laundry actually, but from everything else, it's, these are all parts and pieces that are on the shelf now. So aside from like the measuring first, like if you can't measure, I think you said if you can't, if you measure it, you can manage it, right? So measure, yep. but let's say everyone's measuring it. It's all there. What's the next bite you would take? Yeah, well, certainly anything that is reaching it at the end of its useful life. I mean, the hotels do replace stuff more frequently than any other building type. So, um, you know, you're, um, I think you're, I would advocate just to do everything. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, and, and, you know, there is, in most states, there's something called CPACE financing, a commercial property assessed clean energy financing. We happen to work with Nuveen, which is, I think, the market leader with that. And uh, they'll give you, like, we have $6 million of, of funding they just gave us to do uh, all of our energy efficiency and, and renewable energy systems. Um, and is the underwriting different for that? Like, how would, how would applying and getting that debt structure, like how, how, how is that different from just getting a regular loan? Is it more onerous? Is it, is there more documentation? Like what's, what's holding in your mind, what's holding back others from tapping into the C-PACE financing that's there? I think it's just, it's just realizing that this is something new. Uh, just like the, the all electric systems are new. This is a new type of financing for many people. It's actually the fastest growing area. And particularly in this environment where the commercial banks are are starting to scale back given uh you know with rising interest rates they're starting to be a lot more selective about their loans mm -hmm. because they the existing commercial loan portfolios when the loans mature they you know they can't support the the, the same amount of debt with the current interest rates so commercial banks are are being a lot more cautious in in recent months but the c-based lenders are still um, they don't have the same kind of exposure because it's long-term, you know, it could be uh, 20, 25 year um, uh, investment. It's paid back through your tax bill. So it's not really like a second mortgage uh, or a mortgage at all. Uh, so it's, it's a lot more stable. Explain that. How does it, what, how do you pay it back through your tax bill? It's basically like a tax lien. It has the same priority as a, as a tax lien would have. So when you get your tax bill, uh, it has the same consequences. Um, if you don't, uh, if you sell the property, the new owner actually has the same obligation. It's like a tax bill. It's not a, um, you can prepay it, um, but it's a new type of financing that where the underwriting is a little simpler. It doesn't require personal guarantees, which is a great oh, thing. Wow. Uh, you may have to guarantee that you're going to complete your project, but um, it's it's a simpler um, uh, approach, and every underwriter might do it a little differently. 
it started with the idea that um, that these energy efficiency and renewable energy uh, investments actually strengthen the bottom line. So imagine that you have a, uh, a hotel with a big energy bill, and let's say you're paying uh, $200,000 a year for your electric bill. Um, but you have an opportunity to put uh, solar canopies out in your parking lot. And that costs you, um, and, and that could actually cut that electric bill in half. But you can install those, and the debt service on, on those canopies is only um, $50,000. So at the end of the day, you're reducing your outlay when you combine the CPACE financing uh, debt service uh, with your electric bill, your your total net operating income goes up by $50,000. Which then increases uh, the valuation of the whole thing, which makes them look at the property or the project as a lower risk. So they're chart, they're, they're, they're taking right. on less of a risk, less of a and, risk. And then the, risk and the, the first, the first lender has, has like an extra $50,000 of cushion. Mm -hmm. I think for some folks, you know, who maybe have floating rates to their loans and they see their, their loans going up by, you know, a hundred basis points. This is a way that you can create that additional cash flow and, and, and deal with the higher interest rates. It's people haven't typically looked at energy efficiency and onsite renewable energy as a way to uh, create value, hmm. but it definitely is. And then just so I'm clear in the, in the course of doing a new, new building, like there's all different kinds of debt instruments. So there's the actual, the mortgage, right? Then there's mm -hmm. a construction loan potentially or other mezzanine stuff just to get you over the hump to redevelop or renovate. But then the CPA stuff is for the systems within the building. You know, it's it's for the whole uh, property as a oh, whole. Oh, really? So it's um, it's a it's recorded against the deed of the property, uh, and it it's repayment is similar to the obligation to repay to pay the taxes. It can't be foreclosed on. I mean, they, they can only collect one year's worth at a time. So, um, uh, and it's it's a tool that I think has been used actually to to help create some uh, a little more cash for projects. But it it ultimately it answers the question of you know someone says they can't afford it, they don't have the the capital to do it. It's it's a ready source, and when you tap it and you make these improvements. You actually end up with more money at that end of the day, even after the debt service is, is um, accounted for, if you're investing in things that reduce your energy costs. Mm -hmm. And um, if you can, you know, if you can reduce your your energy bill by a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, um, and you can do that by borrowing, say, a million dollars. That's a pretty smart investment. It's the biggest return on capital you can make in a project. Yeah. So to me, that seems like a layup no brainer. And it sounds to me like you were saying, Nuveen, they have the capital. But so what's yeah. so in your mind, like what's the hang up in trying to get get these going? I what like what I think it's a I think it's a mindset. I think it's a mindset where um and it's the same problem that as designers we encounter when we try to make budgets work, which is, and you know, we did it with our own art budget. We've got a great art collection here, but we started out wanting to spend twice as much on it. Um, so you'd usually, the thing about art is 
uh, at least in the short term, it doesn't create a return on investment that is that helps you cover your mortgage. Mm -hmm. But energy and uh, efficiency investments and on-site renewables do. But unfortunately, people don't normally think about when they're in a, uh, a, a trying to close a budget gap, they're usually just cutting everything uh, and, and figuring out what they can cut and still open their hotel. Whereas uh, um, sometimes by spending a little more money um, and bringing in, in addition to the CPACE financing, the utilities um, are providing incentives to do this. We had for a $400,000 grant from United Illuminating for doing all the stuff that we did. NYSERDA, for all of New York State, has some great incentive programs where they will pay for this stuff. And there's also the um, IRA, the uh, um, the new uh, 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 tax incentives, uh, which started a 30% tax credit for things like batteries and solar and, and uh, uh, even geothermal systems. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I think when you look at all those things together, and also in some communities, that tax rate can go up to 70%, depending on whether you're in a, uh, a certain zip code that, that is targeted as a, um, uh, a low-income community or a, um, an environmental justice community. The, the, there's a whole um, host of things that can actually create more incentives in certain communities. So let me, let me ask a question. So in, in doing all that and having someone accountable for that, like if you imagine your team, the accountability, we were recently, you and I were at, went to the Radical Innovation event at the New Museum in, in Manhattan, and you've always kind of done things yourself. And I remember in talking to you, I just, I just remember seeing, you so, seemed almost like awestruck, like, I can't believe how many people there are to help build a hotel from construction managers, project managers, uh, designers, procurement, da, 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 da. and you like, you did, I mean, you did have a lot of those people on your team, Laura and Dieter, for instance, who I love. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah we, we have some great, I mean, we have a very small firm. I mean, for, uh, we've done some of the larger projects in Connecticut, but we don't do it by having lots and lots of people on our payroll. We do it by having finding the really the best, most talented people um, out there. And Dutch East Design, our, our branding firm and interior design firm, you know, that's the best example of that, where you have really thoughtful people, talented, who share your mission and um, share your values. And uh, so, you know, and we have, uh, we had a great construction manager with Consigli. We had a great energy consultant with Stephen Winters Associates that helped us get through the Passive House mm -hmm. and, and lead Platinum certification. Yeah, we, but the, the list is, is uh, there's dozens of folks, but we do have a very small firm ourselves. The, the advantage of that is there's not like 10 people managing the project. Right. And I think when you have more than a couple people involved in and, and you start to divide up the decision-making between disciplines, you lose the ability to have that integrated vision. Mm. Um, you know, the brands, the operators, they all have a hand in it too. Um, and they all have hard and fast requirements. Did, did Hilton you know, give think, you any uh, um, incentives to be zero, zero emission to um, like really help you commit to that? 
I think the thing that they have done the most has, has, has been to help share our story mm. with the, with the world. Mm. Uh, obviously they're very proud of our being part of the Hilton family. And it, it's a project that, um, is prominently, uh, um, uh, talked about in their ESG reports. Uh, but at least, um, and I think the brands are all beginning to, um, find ways to try to replicate this, mm. but we did not have, uh, anyone at the brand say, you know, you got to do this or, um, please do this. It's, it's more, um, this is part of their mission. Mm. We, we selected the, um, tapestry collection because it actually gave us the flexibility to do things that were unique. It wasn't a set, um, formula that we had to fill. You know, half, you, half the story about Hotel Marcel is it's, it's its unique energy story. The other half is about its design story it, as a, a building that was originally designed by Marcel Breuer, who, you know, was such an important um, designer with his uh, roots at the Bauhaus and, and you know, his, his role as an educator at, at Harvard. Um, and then, you know, his, his legacy as a furniture designer and, and designer, you know, really cool. Yeah, I mean... Brutalist buildings the, and cool modern houses. The and, building and, and, and is so stunning. We, it's really... Uh, uh, it's a, a monument really there off I-95. Yeah, we're, uh, it's funny. It was, we were lucky that uh, Paul Goldberger came for a tour and gave a little talk last night to the AIA fellows here. And he, um, uh, he had a wonderful message, which is that sometimes there are these buildings that you see that people have given up a hope on, you know, and, and Hotel Marcel was formerly the Pirelli building. And, it was voted twice as the ugliest building in Connecticut. Because it is sort of, uh, when the lights are off, it's this hulking concrete mass. It, it has this cool concrete cube that sort of hovers in the air. But um, it was conceived uh, by Mayor Dick Lee and Armstrong Rubber Company as sort of a beacon of progress and hope and, and investment. But it sat vacant for 20 years and became a symbol of decline and hopelessness. And so uh, the other part of the story of Hotel Marcel is sort of this rebirth of a architectural landmark and, and embracing that Bauhaus legacy and, and um, uh, the design principles of the Bauhaus, less is more, and, and having the idea that um, you, know, you can have really wonderful, comfortable um, hospitality offered in a, in a brutalist yeah. building. That was sort of a challenge that, that uh, Dieter and Laura uh, and William helped us unravel and address. And, um, you know, together with my wife, Kramer, uh, who, who uh, worked very closely with them and put the art collection together. I think it's a brutalist building can be a really warm, welcoming building. Mm -hmm. And also it can be um, welcoming for the planet, too. You know, you're, these things are not mutually exclusive. Um, and I think while the design philosophy might be less is more, it's, you know, it's, it's less distraction, less energy, yeah. less carbon pollution. Um, and just keeping some of those principles, uh, front and center as you make each of the thousands of decisions you have to make as you, uh, launch a project. Well, I also, I, I know you said less is more a handful of times in the, in the past couple of minutes, but 
I think you can also flip it over in the sense that not only did with the savings that you found in your electric bill or you, your utility bills, right? You, you found less there, right? But it was also the equivalent mm -hmm. of adding 20 guest rooms to a 165 room hotel. The other mm -hmm. thing that I learned from you, which I thought was really interesting for all the other developers out there listening, you the, the, the top floor was more of a mechanical spot, a mechanical area. It was a mechanical, it, it was a mechanical penthouse. Yeah. And it was originally, uh, for you know, I don't know if, if your guests are, are going to be able to see uh, a visual of the building, but it's it the it basically the it's a bifurcated building. Mm -hmm. There's four floors, which were originally offices, that hang above a two-story gap, and uh, the building was built like a bridge yeah. up in the ninth floor above what was previously all the occupied space. There's a 16-foot high truss that. Um, allows this large mass to hover uh, uh, in midair. And uh, up until we bought the building, that, that was a windowless floor that just housed the trusses and uh, the elevator equipment. And so one of the things, this is my first hotel, Hotel Marcel. I, my background professionally has been in mixed-use projects and affordable housing, mixed-income housing, supportive housing. I realized that you know, it's an entirely different game when it comes to hotels yeah. that they're operating businesses and they're, it's sort of like the difference between, you know, uh, checkers and chess. So I took um, a six class certificate program at the Cornell Hotel School just to learn the fundamentals. And one of the things I picked up along the way is if you're going to have a hotel with over 100 rooms, it's really important to have meeting rooms to, to fill those well, that's, rooms. That's where, that's where I wanted to go with it. And I want to, I think what's interesting about hotels is it's not just, the hotel is not just a business. It's actually many businesses within one business. There's a lot of different revenue channels there. And what was really cool about what you shared with me um, with, the, with the meeting spaces is not only did you clear out a lot of the mechanical stuff and create these re really cool meeting rooms, within the greater New Haven area, where there's healthcare, um, insurance, Yale University, all these other bits of industry, they are, from what I understood, I, you didn't say it this way, but they're kind of falling all over themselves to book the spaces with you because they have these mandates to book hospitality events or meeting spaces in zero emissions locations. And you basically gave them a solution to that. So they're winning because they get to help out whatever they're measuring. And you're winning because you got to take this pretty much empty floor and create a new business out of it. Yeah, we have we have nine thousand square feet of meeting space. We have some great spaces on the um, first floor. Um, we have the sunken lounge, which was formerly a, um, a space that had a computer, uh, a large computer room with a, uh, a raised floor. We now took the space um, and, and created a wonderful lounge area there. It opens up to uh, two rooms that can be combined. But the bulk of our meeting space is sort of this found space, which was previously windowless. We put full height glass walls in this uh, courtyard that used to have a cooling tower in it. We have uh, four uh, classrooms and then we have a big uh, uh, shared open space we call the Loja. We've had events for over 300 people at the hotel. And increasingly, um, nonprofits, for-profits are counting their carbon footprint mm -hmm. when they're booking events. Yale has the premier 
uh, at, you know, graduate school of the environment. And so this is where um, a lot of people who are studying uh, corporate and governmental policy about uh, carbon emissions are, and they all, and even Yale, to their credit, they, they list all the hotels in New Haven uh, on their, um, their, their visitor homepage uh, on their website, and they have a little asterisk next to Hotel Marcel, which says a zero emissions hotel. So, so we are, uh, people are starting to ask, and this is, uh, right now, it's the only option in, in the country that offers this, but I think there are rapidly um, more and more folks that are trying to, to do the same, and even individual travelers who are traveling for, for pleasure, the, the leisure market uh, survey show that they care deeply about yeah, this as I, well. Yeah, I want to ask a question about that, and I'm going to tie it into this kind of idea of, of different channels of business and um, because like a, ho a hotel is an operating real asset. Um, if you were to take the $300,000 plus or minus that you're saving in your utilities and also the found capital or the found cash flow that you have from creating this meeting space because you got rid of all these cooling towers and things that you didn't need anymore. So you basically mm -hmm. created a printing press. How much, if you look at the meeting space, the, um, the utility savings, and then also, like you said, the asterisks, those, those travelers where it's a choice and it means it's impactful to them and they want to stay there. And either you can look at the asterisks as, um, more occupancy or are those people willing to pay a premium? I don't know how you look at that, but like yeah. how much did that add to the bottom line? Just those three things, the, the guest, the utilities and the meeting space. Well, I can tell you, so we're, we're outperforming, um, you know, the rev par, which is sort of a function, both of room rate and the occupancy, you know, we're now clearly outperforming the market. Now it's taken us, you know, we've been open about a year and a half. The first year we were ramping up and we were sort of keeping pace, but um, certainly for the last several months, we've been, we've gotten way ahead of the pack uh, in both measures. Um, you know, I think there was, uh, I think people are starting to look at uh, the substance of uh, emissions. You know, there have been different uh, meeting organizations that will try to structure offsets to to offset the carbon emissions from events i mean there are entire organizations who's who are who've been set up you know come to us we will buy offsets to to compensate for the environmental damage from your travel or your meetings um john oliver i think did as good a job as anyone yeah. with his segment on funny. on uh, offsets to show that you know that's really just smoke and mirrors the reality is the carbon emissions globally are going up every year at much too high a rate. And even if we say, okay, over here, we're going to keep this forest uh, pristine, that's not going to solve the problem. We just have to stop creating emissions, period. In California, the I think it was the second or third quarter of this year, electric cars made up 25% of new car sales. There's clearly a recognition, starting on the coast, but but spreading. We're actually consulting on a project in Texas where they're as excited about being uh, uh, zero emission as anyone. Um, but there is a, uh, 
you know, all you have to do is, is look at the news and see all the horrendous impacts of the climate to realize we just can't, we can't afford to burn any fossil fuels anymore. It's just making the problem worse for So everyone. then I have, I have a question on that specifically, because your hotel is zero emissions. Let's say California, 25% of the cars are, are electric. The power still has to come from something. So where is it coming from? Because those emissions are going to be made somewhere else. Is it going to be more efficient? Is it, um, or are the, are you able to sequester the energy that you buy from non um, emissions sources? Yeah. So right now um, in the summer, there are plenty of days where we're producing all the electricity ourselves. We have over a thousand solar panels. Our goal is to be um, certifiably net zero, which means that over the course of twelve months, we've produced it all, and we have a plan in front of the city to add uh, a, an array of ground mount panels across the street, actually adjacent to the highway, which will get us to that point. It's still a bureaucratic Please process. Please tell right me there. you're not going to displace the amazing army of food trucks that are over there. No, no, no. This, this is going in an area that people can't even see. It's sort of this hillside of an embankment okay. for a highway that's really not usable for anything. But uh, no, we have a great, uh, what they call uh, a food truck heaven around yeah. the corner from us. Uh, in addition to... Uh, having all the Swedish meat bells you, you, you can choose from Ikea and, and a, a fantastic restaurant here. There's, and the best pizza in the world at Worcester Square, you know, we're the closest hotel to, uh, to Sally's and Pepe's and as well as being the closest hotel to, to the uh, Amtrak station here. We do have some really cool food options around. But, we're, but the, um, the, getting back to the ideas of the source of the power, you know, the grid, uh, the state of Connecticut has, has committed to have uh, the grid be 100% renewable, um, you know, within a decade or two, and you know, there's offshore wind going in. The uh, the the highest, you know, the biggest chunk of new uh, generation that's being added, pretty much everywhere, is solar and wind. And so, the important thing is that we put in the electric equipment now, so that by the, as the grid gets greener and greener, the buildings get greener and greener. And if you can have um, solar panels on your in your in your um, parking lot, and there are a lot of hotels with more parking areas than we have, most hotels in the United States have they're surrounded by surface parking lots. And particularly if it's a you know like a a building that's only four stories, there's enough roof area, enough parking area to be 100% net zero. So it and and the numbers. When you put in a solar canopy uh, and you finance it with CPACE, you suddenly are, are in, at least in the Northeast, you're changing your electric bill from being as high as 25 cents a kilowatt hour to uh, maybe only 10 or 12 cents a kilowatt hour. So that in itself is a way to save money and also uh, ensure that all the power flowing to your building mm. is not from fossil fuel sources. But, but um, at least in Connecticut, and I think in New York and elsewhere, you can also just elect for the power you're getting from the grid to, to uh, elect that it be 100% renewable. And uh, uh, we do that. So we're not buying any power that is uh, coming from fossil fuels, even while we're waiting to, to uh, install more renewable energy. On I, I also heard something recently. I don't remember where I heard it. It could have just come up in my, in like a social media feed. But someone had said, it might have been Elon Musk uh, from Tesla, but he basically said, if you made a hundred mile by hundred mile 
solar panel in the middle of the United States, which does, like when you fly over the United States, you're flying over a hundred miles in a couple minutes. But like you, yeah. it seems very achievable that that could power the entire United States. Now you need batteries and all this other stuff for for nighttime and cloudy days and everything else. But it seems to me like all the energy we need, if we're facing this dire emergency, which I, I agree with, I'm not saying if we are, we are. Um, why not Occam's razor? Like that seems like a simple solution or like it just, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, that is, that's true visually, but the best thing is to have the power generated where it's being used. Mm. Um, first of all, it's more valuable um, because when you, if you're a hotel owner and you install it, you're immediately getting the direct benefit. If, if um, now some states have more onerous requirements and they don't let you put solar behind the meter, but many states do, certainly in the Northeast. And so uh, that, that way you get a direct benefit. But, uh, and it's also, you know, when you move electricity from one place to another, there's a efficiency cost there. Um, I mean, I, I sort of came to this with an experiment I did on my historic house in, in Westport, where we bought an antique house that was really cool. It was a block from the beach. Um, but it had an oil furnace and it had uh, inefficient windows and um, had a gas stove. And so over a couple of years, we, uh, we put in an induction stove. We put in two Tesla power walls. We ended up putting 64 solar panels on the roof and replacing the gas um, or the oil furnace and hot water system with an all electric heat pump system. And uh, it was a great return on investment. Um, we have uh, neighbors who, uh, yeah, when they're these increasing number of power outages, they have their generators going on. They run out of fuel, or they asphyxiate them because, mm. you know, your your um, their health issues with that. How, how long did that investment for your home pay for itself? Take to pay for itself. I did an analysis. It was about a five year payback. Mm. You know, it's like a twenty percent return on equity. I think people don't really do the numbers. You know, they're yeah. you know, most people don't have extra change, but. If they do, you know, often they'll put it in the stock market or they'll buy a bond or mutual fund, but the money goes a lot further if you invest it in your own energy system. Yeah, that's... And it's also more predictable. I mean, you know, the, the, the amount of power you get from a solar panel is, it's like a bond. You know, once you buy it, what you're, what you're going to get out of it, as opposed to a, the stock market, you know, you might wake up in the morning and find that it's, only worth 25% uh, less than what it was the day before. So I, I have another stupid question. So let's, let's say we're in this rising interest rate environment. Um, a lot of, and I'll say hotel, but like all, all commercial real estate, you know, it's coming time to, to refinance some loans. The rates are much higher three, four times what they were historically. And then, but then you talk about this C pace, if they're, if they're refinancing into this high rate environment, can they say, hey, I'm going to do a solar canopy on our parking lot and on the top of the building with, with power walls. Can they refinance that whole loan into CPACE to fund that and then improve their cash flow? Yeah, what you might find is um, you can't borrow as much money with a higher rate. So maybe when you refinance, you refinance uh, and you end up with a smaller first mortgage, but then you get the CPACE which maybe allows you to uh, take out the balance of the other loan and also invest in these technologies that will uh, improve your NOI. Hmm. 
Hmm. Yeah, it's something I, I've just heard about, and maybe maybe it's like where I use that term as like a, a puzzle, the puzzle master for you. Um, maybe because people don't have that one accountable person where they're measuring and doing it. It just seems like learning Sanskrit. Like I don't like I don't know because everything that you've shown me and walking through your hotel and what I read out there, it seems that it's totally possible. And I just don't know why we're wait I don't know I don't know what the holdup is. It's tradition, you know. There's some people that are scared of new things or they're um things are so complicated mm. they just want to do what they did before it's yeah you know, there's always going to be people that are hesitant about buying an electric car because they don't know it or they 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 love their car dealer and uh although not a lot of people do but there <laughs> there there's always some reason uh maybe not to make the change that is logical um part of its emotion mm. but i think what's compensating for that is more and more people are freaked out about the climate yeah and they're looking for a solution. And certainly, um, I you know I went to uh, Yale's at, at the School of Management at Yale. They have an annual real estate conference. There were people who were like in charge of major investment portfolios, and they were asked to talk about what they were doing. And they spent half their time talking about climate change and uh, not investing in um, projects or portfolios that had carbon emissions. Mm. So this is. Um, at a certain point, and I go back to the analogy with electric cars, sometimes, you know, sometimes the technology is actually safer, cheaper, uh, more beautiful, and the market will, uh, even without um, a mandate, uh, you'll find, uh, you know, they're Boston, they're banning new fossil fuel connections. Um, if you build a project in France, you have to do a whole carbon emissions, including the embodied carbon of the construction uh, analysis, and you have to show that you're net zero. So, uh, but even before those mandates and governmental uh, incentives and uh, uh, penalties are, are forced on the industry, um, I think just general market preference might, might force people to take that route. I mean, that's kind of, that's that retail human, I think, right? It's yeah. like, it's the, the consumer is really, and the consumer in a way has always been the tail, right? Of the dog. And now I, I I'm just hope I'm hopeful. I don't know if it's, I don't know how to like prove this out, but I'm hopeful that that consumer, which was always the tail is now wagging the dog. And I'm not, I, I just don't know how to, how to prove that. Also, yeah. I didn't. I also didn't realize that this was your first hotel. So one of the things that I love about this industry is how passionate everyone in hospitality is about hospitality. Um, how did doing your first hotel change you for the better? Yeah, well, Chris, we didn't know any better. Uh, we thought, I mean, I've been used to doing um, lead platinum multifamily projects. And uh, I've seen that it's not that much harder to do. You have to just track a few more things. And uh, I've also seen, because I have had an ownership role recently, either shared or, or, or um, you know, where we actually have the owner role, you know, that when you have a lower energy bill, it makes it easier to uh, 
to pay your mortgage and make distribution to your partners. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, uh, because I have the design and the developer and the finance pen, a typical designer, you know, they will take direction from their client. And, uh, you know, it, it's usually not the first thing on the list. Um, and, and they, I think people trust their engineers to design proven systems that are efficient. Unfortunately, you know, one of the, the unfortunate things about our environment as, as designers is that we're always worried about litigation risk and that we're going to be sued because we didn't design something right or we designed something new and different and it failed. And the, um, the general rule of thumb in defending your design claims is that if you do what everyone else does, you have no liability. You know, if you're, if you're basically do you're meeting the professional standard. Mm. If everyone else has put, put in, you know, PTAC systems for the hotels and you put them in and something doesn't work, no one's ever been sued for designing a system that uses too much energy. Uh, maybe they should be, but up until now, I haven't heard of that. But they get sued because they design a system that can't keep uh, the building warm enough in the winter or cold enough in the, in the, in the summer. So we tend to have a bias, or engineers do, in over-designing to make sure that we uh, have systems that are proven, that um, you know, we haven't stuck our necks out. But unfortunately, when you do innovation, by definition, you have to do something new that hasn't really been widely adopted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because I wasn't worried about being sued by the owner, because I am the owner, I guess I was willing to try some things out. But also, I enjoyed, because it was my first pro- hotel project, every little decision that was made, I wanted to understand the basis for it. So, for example, it came time to buy um, these warming dishes for the, our catering operation. Uh, typically, if you're on a budget, you buy a typical stainless steel warming tray that you use sterno in. And I sort of thought, well, wait a second, why... Here we've gone to great measures for, to protect our indoor air quality. We have a, all this uh, wonderful filtered fresh air coming into every space. Why would we want to be burning Sterno in, in, in the most populated areas? And then we investigated electric ones and found that they, um, managers don't like them because they get ganged together and they, the breakers flip. But then I dug a little deeper and I found that there's some, these great induction, um, warming trays that only use like 20 watts each and you can gang them together. You can gang 10 together and plug them into a regular outlet, 30, 30 amp outlet. And so we bought those. They are a little bit more, but they pay for themselves in saved energy or Cerno bills in about six months. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because I sort of was in the decision making path for every little purchase, we were able to sort of filter out everything that involved burning stuff and then also look at the return on investment for everything that maybe cost a little bit more. Uh, th- these chafing dishes, they you set the temperature on them. And uh, with the conventional ones, you sort of turn it to like one, three, or five, and more often than not, you, you know, it, it ruins the food that's in mm. them. So they're... I think I, it's just this holistic look at everything that, um, and the fact that we hadn't ever made any of the, the decisions before and wanted to take a fresh look. Because it's only natural. Like if we did a second hotel, 
we would start by saying, let's do everything we did at Hotel Marcel, and then maybe see, is there anything else we should change? And that's a different process. Um, so that's, than, than, that's actually, and I know you've said this a couple of times, but when, when I think about having a, the highest priority for a project, it's like a rock, right? It's a it's it's a boulder, if you will. And then if you make decisions all around that, it's like a boulder rolling into a river. It blocks it, but then the water figures its way around the boulder eventually. So rather than take the whole idea of this just sustainability, to just come up with come to a, approach a project with look, we're going to be a zero emissions property. It helps make all these other decisions and, and all the cascading and compounding decisions. Like you put that front first and foremost, and it's only going to benefit the financial performance of the project, the sense of well-being amongst the guests and the and the employees and team members that are there and the community around it. It doesn't sound yeah. like to me, I was like, oh, that's so rainbows and unicorns, but it seems pretty simple. Yeah, and, but you know, it, it wasn't that simple until like two years ago when Mitsubishi started to sell their their air source heat pump system for domestic hot water. You had to you had to use fossil fuels to make a lot of hot mm. water, um, but now you don't have to. Mm. So, it, and the problem is that was sort of like the gateway drug for fossil fuels because once you had the gas line coming in for your water system, then yeah, why not use it for the laundry? Why not use it for the kitchen? Um, but if you sort of draw that hard line, you're right. It is, uh, you find a way around. And sometimes the way around is a, is a shorter path and less expensive path. Uh, you know, I actually like the term zero emission. I mean, people talk about net zero, but I actually think I've sort of gotten concerned about net. Yeah, because to me, net, net zero, when as I'm learning about this, I... And you're always like, it's not a net zero hotel, it's a zero emissions hotel. And then I start thinking about it, I'm like, net zero means you're comparing or measuring with other factors outside and around. So in a way it becomes a like a shell game in a, in a, in a way, whereas yeah. you can create your own accountability and, and environment of measurement if you just say, look, this hotel is gonna have zero emissions. It's the simplest standard. Um no one certifies it because it's just such a simple measure. You know, we spent a year getting our passive house certification issued with even longer with the, the lead platinum. You know, we, we were able to declare the minute we opened that we were zero emission. Um, and, uh, it, it's a simple thing. I, you know, I think it's a, I think you'll see it more and more. I, uh, uh, there, Everyone's now talking about all electric building, mm -hmm. and that's easy too. Um, if you don't have a gas line, uh, you know one of the one of the hotel brands, not Hilton, um, actually has a brand standard that you have to have a fossil fuel connection. Um, I think they're revisiting that mm. uh, because once you have that, then you um, you know you you're you're not forced to look at these other options that are actually but it could be a there i'm sure there's a brand out there where like plastic straws is really important to them right where okay i i appreciate the intention behind that but those same brands could also say okay we're going to give our partners five years to cut the gas line that that actually 
because in five years you have to, if, if like what you said earlier, hotels maintain, uh, do preventative maintenance or replace systems more frequently than other forms of commercial real estate. There is this um, degradation that naturally happens and preventative maintenance that needs to go on. And maybe it's something as simple as saying, we want you to cut all gas lines going into a hotel. And you know what? We're going to, we have an army full of people in, in our corporate headquarters. We're going to have a little pod of people that can help you navigate the C-PACE financing or other incentives that may exist around there. It sounds like it could be a... Uh, Dan, I think that's going to happen. Hmm. We just recently got um, communication from Hilton that they'd partner with Tesla for the level two chargers. And there's a, a pilot program where they're going to make it really easy to put in EV chargers. Of course, that's the second half of our climate crisis. You know, the two big contributors are, are uh, buildings um, that architects and designers are responsible for making and, uh, and transportation. So uh, we have to look at everything together, but they're, they are, the, the hotel companies are rolling this out. Um, both Hilton and Marriott have rolled out public uh, um, level two EV charging systems where they pre-negotiate rates and make it easy for hotel owners. Um, they are, um, I think they're, they're always focused on their bottom line. And so they're always trying to grow the number of hotels that are under their umbrella. Mm -hmm. Uh, just to be, um, you know, to try to create stockholder uh, value. Uh, they're also keenly aware, though, that some of the big institutional investors are going to put an increasing priority on reducing emissions. So that is going to enter into it. There, so far, there is not a carrot or a stick. Um, they're asking us to measure and report our energy use and uh, fossil fuel use. So they at least have the data to work with. Uh, but for example, Marriott has a program to encourage minority ownership of um, hotels that are franchised. They actually, they give a discount. Uh, I think it's something like a couple percent in the early years that, that ramps down, maybe a total of five. And that's off the, gro that's off the gross revenue. It's, yeah, so they basically give a discount mm -hmm. to minority owners uh, in the early years to make it franchises more accessible. Um, and obviously that's a great thing to create a little more diversity of hotel owners um, and, and have, have a greater um, uh, cross-section of, of people own hotels. However, I think they could do something very similar for, to encourage zero emission hotels. Mm -hmm. Um, so far, there has not been a, uh, despite all the pledges made about commitments to reduce emissions, I have not seen um, any incentives rolled out to actually encourage owners to do that, nor have I seen um, penalties imposed. But your idea of saying this is going to happen in the future, um, uh, maybe all the hotels have to act together so they're not yeah. worried that they're going to suddenly be at a disadvantage. Yeah, because preventative maintenance comes up. Give them an allowable... To, like, when your systems are time for renovation, hey, maybe we'll, maybe the brands can help negotiate with Mitsubishi for the hot water system or something and, like, get them, a like, a bulk deal. I yeah, exactly. You know, we, we had... Uh, when we opened the hotel um, and other owners uh, uh, and interior designers and uh, listeners will be familiar with this, but... 
you know, it's always a rush to get the hotel open mm. because you, until you pass inspection by the brand, they won't let you open. And uh, so we were in pretty good shape. We thought we were. They came in, they said, well, wait a second, your door stops are mounted on the floor. We don't allow that. Um, they have to be on the wall. We didn't even ask why. So we quickly in 24 hours, you know, we got out these, these beautiful uh, bronze uh, wall mounted door stops that uh, we selected with Dutch yeast and put them up. And lo and behold, we passed the test. But then I said, well, wh why did we have to do that? And apparently uh, um, hotels uh, have uh, been sued more than a few times by hotel guests that break their toes oh, right. in the middle of the night on a floor mounted doorstop. So I, I think that that, the idea that some of the design decisions actually are going to create liabilities for us uh, if we don't change them, uh, I think that um, that's applicable to hospitality for the climate too. And 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 I think we're we will see the brands because I know they're all. Yeah, you know, we've had teams from Marriott come down here as well as Hilton and 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 look and dissect all the things we've done. I do believe that they're poised to uh, uh, start to roll out carrots and sticks to uh, to encourage uh, more zero emission hotels. I love it. And so to think about the the health of the planet and climate, I mean, it's a heavy kind of a downer subject, but I, but I guess my optimistic glass half full is if you're at the vanguard of this and saying that it, it is achievable and doable like now, um, with that glass half full kind of uh, perspective, as you look out into the not even far distant future, but like, you know, five, 10 years out, what's exciting you most about what you see out there? Well, I'm excited that this is all readily achievable. If someone said no hotel can produce any fossil fuel emissions, after 2030, and they knew now, we could have a fossil fuel-free industry. Um, you know, this past year was pretty horrific in terms of climate change, but what we're being told is this is just the beginning, and who knows what next year will bring or the year after. So, um, particularly for the hospitality industry, which counts on um, you know, having beautiful experiences all over the globe, that just the, the potential for that is, is directly at odds with our damaging the climate. So there is, I'm encouraged that the solutions are here, available, affordable. I'm also encouraged that there's increasing recognition. There are a lot fewer people denying that this is a problem than there were even a couple of years ago. We're seeing it driven by consumers um, and corporations with the um, mandate. So I'm, I think there's a reason to have a lot of hope about this. It's not a, um, it's, it's a hopeful situation, situation because, we, and the other thing is we don't have to compromise anything. We can have the most beautiful hotel you know, Hotel Marcel has gotten so much acclaim and praise for things that have nothing to do with its energy system. Yeah. Because we have these passive house compliant windows, and I'm here up on the uh, eighth floor in the former uh, president's office of Armstrong Rubber Company. This is now this presidential suite. We're 
200 feet from the highway. It's not just a high, everyone, it's not just a highway. It's I-95 going from Miami up to Maine. And this one little stretch between Boston and New York is intense. And being in there, if you're on YouTube, being in this room, I couldn't even hear. I could not hear the semis blasting past. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at right now, I mean, there's just a stream of four lanes of traffic going both directions with tractor trailer trucks. And I mean, you can, there's nothing to hear here yeah. because we have two and a half inch thick passive house uh, compliant windows that do a great job of baking the building envelope into a thermos, but they also keep all the noise out. We've been told by many people, this is the quietest hotel room they've ever stayed in. And they're right. It's so crazy to me being yeah. right next to I-95. Yeah. The thing that I'm hopeful about is that we actually have created a model here that people don't, I think there has been an attitude that, gee, if we're going to save energy, it's not going to be as comfortable. People are going to be a little bit warmer than they want to be or a little bit colder than they want to be, or it's not going to be as, as hospitable an environment, but it's actually the opposite. Mm. You know, we have, because the building uses so little energy because it's so well insulated, you know, we have much smaller, uh, equipment. We have uh, these VRF heat pumps that are right at the door. They're not near your bed, so but they also don't make any noise. They're, the fan doesn't have to work very hard at all. In fact, you don't hear it. I mean, a lot of hotel rooms I've been at recently. Oh, with those P-Tacs. Yeah, it's, they yeah, it's just annoying. Uh, I mean, some people actually bring sound machines in with them because they're just not used to having it so so quiet. But you're, you're, um, the visual environment the physical environment, um, it doesn't require any, any compromise. In fact, I think you take this holistic approach to hospitality, um, being gentle on the, on your, the whole experience and the planet, and also the consequences right. and the planet. And it adds up to something that really is nourishing, um, and relaxing. I also like, just to and I just to build on that idea of the environment and the holistic approach from just guest, team, brand, planet. If you can really tailor a wonder like a wonderful experience, like what you're experiencing in this quiet, serene room that I see you in, and I've been there right next to I-95. It's all and the number of people that stay there on an annual basis or have meetings, it's almost like your hotel is a force multiplier for future change, right? And the more that we can do that, it's that um, mm. it's that halo effect. It's the butterfly beating its wings off the coast of West Africa that turns into a hurricane, you know? I, I do think um, that this building is gonna have a bigger impact than I thought. I mean, I, I can only, I don't really have the capacity to do one project every four years. I mean, I'm not, because I get so deeply involved. Um, you know, we did this, uh, Kramer, my wife and I sort of conjured this up during the pandemic and it was a 80 hour a week marathon to get it open, trying to dodge supply chain issues. And, um, I mean, I think we, we were targeting to have it open by graduation of 2022. We only bought the property in on New Year's day of 2020. So it was a marathon to get through to the finish, but we, we really didn't sleep much or get much rest. So now I'm, I don't want to do that again. But I'm I'm doing some consulting, but I'm also uh, very involved in uh, speaking and hosting events mm. here, 
um, for the for people that want to learn more about um, this uh, secret sauce of being zero emission. But we also have uh, environmental. We had a, a conference here just last week with the Conservation Law Foundation, which is a, a very active uh, uh, environmental group in the Northeast. We've worked with Save the Sound for receptions. We have multiple events with Yale, with the School of Environment, School of Architecture, School of Management, and uh, a lot of uh, folks coming from the outside. We had the, the home builders um, had their uh, fall meeting here, and I talked to them about our technologies. And so it's actually the, even the apartment industry is learning from this project. Well, you know, a hotel ha is unique in that it's a public building. Mm -hmm. you know, we could have designed the sort of the greenest apartment building in the world, and you know, the 20 people that lived in it would, would appreciate it. But I think hotels have this influence that goes, that impacts so many more people. They really are public buildings that when people, people learn from, we have a lot of really curious guests that, and we have fortunately Charleston hotels that manages the hotel and they've been doing a wonderful job. I mean, both with quality and quantity, we've been running like 98% for the last couple of weeks here with lots of conferences and people are, are, um, and the, the quality of the food, the quality of the catering, just the personal, personal interaction. I give them just a lot of credit for doing that. And, and also you know, people are just curious about our story. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think that that's, what's going to multiply the effect of this. Well, and I, and I said this to you, um, after, after meeting you at the hotel and then since being with you, but whatever, however I can, and I'll commit it to the listeners too. However, I can use this platform to help get your story out. I'm, I'm all in. And also, even if there's a way to do some kind of a conference or a gathering or as a one-off thing or repeated for our industry or commercial real estate in general, we don't need to talk about it right now, but like I'm committed to helping you figure that out and be, be a, be some wind in your sails as well to help get that message out. Because I'm just so struck that all of the palette of solutions are readily available. They're there and they make financial sense. And, um, and with that, if people wanted to learn more, connect with you or uh, learn more about Hotel Marcel, how can they get in touch with you? What's a good way to do that? Yeah, well, first of all, the hotel website has a fair amount of information about our energy systems, and that's just hotelmarcel.com. And then if they want to reach out to me, um, they can email me. I've, I come up here uh, several times a week just I mean, I'll give tours to one or two people, or I'll, if someone wants to bring a whole group of their colleagues or clients, uh, you know, we can arrange a lunch or a dinner or a multiple day event. Uh, it's certainly uh, uh, something we're set up to do. And my email is bruce at beckerandbecker.com. The word and is spelled out. And we're, um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm grateful to you, Dan, for, I think the, the barrier to adoption is just knowledge. Yeah. And what you're doing with this podcast is is empowering people with that knowledge. And um, I think that is the thing that will allow the the um, industry to move faster, just to know that it's possible and not a scary thing. Yeah, thank you. And then also, if any, like when this publishes in the next couple of weeks, like please feel free to chop it up and repurpose it for yourself so that you can help get your message out from your soapbox. And then I'll be sure to pass it along to everyone into snippets or the whole long form. I mean, it's 
it's really powerful. It's been so good to get to know you. And we're we're pretty much freaking neighbors as well. So uh, I mm-hmm. would like to, in the next, maybe after Thanksgiving, because it's, it's kind of busy the next couple of weeks, um, but let's go out to dinner and um, have a coffee or dinner and with a white piece of paper and start planning out what, what this, uh, I don't know, this impact thing could be. So Bruce, I just want to thank you for becoming a new friend of mine and, uh, I'm, and thank you for your time. Well, I, I'm uh, the feelings mutual and thank you for being interested in this story and helping amplify it and let's get together. Yes. And, uh, also without our listeners, thank you all. I really hope that this particular episode changed your idea of hospitality, but with respect to zero emissions and how achievable and readily available it is there from a product, uh, financing, um, and just no- and knowledge, it, it's there. So if this has changed, or you know someone who might be interested or could benefit from thinking about this or thinks it's too complicated, um, please pass it along. We've grown by word of mouth, and I thank you all very much, and we will catch you next time.